Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Braca Gildember the First. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of uh, Return of the Sorceress by Tim Wagoner. That's right. This is the next book. <sighs> We're continuing. Now, I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know what the story is, stop watching now. I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. And you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials using my affiliate link, also in the link below. Uh, well, description below, anyway. <clears throat> okay, so this is my perspective only, and if you disagree with it, that's great! Let me know how and why, what your thoughts are on this story, because uh, these are really hit and miss. <laughs> like, they're sort of all over the place. And it'd be interesting. So the way these go is I'm going to give you my pre-written review. I was supposed to do this yesterday evening, and I just sort of got involved with the weekend. So I, I couldn't do it then. I found some time today to sort of squeeze it in before some other stuff I'm doing. So we're going to do it now. All right. This is... So there is something inherently frustrating when you are teased by the end of one book as to the events to come, and it doesn't pan out in the next book. Uh, hey, Red Devil, thanks for joining live. We have no reference to the loss of a friend or the mystical connection between Asvoria and Niara that was teased in the pre previous book, or the outcome of Sindri's dragon breath kiss or learning of magic. It just is. He's just magical now, and there's no real explanations at all. So the companions arrive at Ravenscar, a vile bandit town outside of Cairngorm Keep. Davin used to have a friend here that he hopes will help them sneak into the keep so that they can all confront Madoc together and end all of this uh, nonsense. As soon as they enter the town, however, two ruffians stop them and begin harassing them, clearly intent on fighting them. Elidor offers them money as an entry fee, and they take the money, purse, and leave. And we discover later that the money was actually counterfeit, and the ruffians will end up coming and looking for them later. So they enter an arena uh, area with this massive pit in it, where Davin's friend, a female centaur named Ayanti, is retrieving some animals who were fighting in a pit for the viewer's entertainment. The town chieftain, a half-ogre named Bolthor, is overseeing the event with his two Kaganesti bodyguards, Kuruk and Shiriki, who are also cousins. As Ayanti delivers the next boar-lizard hybrid creature into the pit, the ruffians find the companions in the crowd and begin fighting with them over the counterfeit coins that they gave them earlier. This prompts Balthor and his bodyguards to get in on the action, and a massive fight breaks out. Niara falls into the pit, and Asvoria takes control of her body to hurl a massive fireball, killing that weird creature that they just lowered into it. The Kaganesti are fought off, and Ayanti saves Davin from Balthor. Meanwhile, Maddox senses the magic from Asvoria's massively powerful fireball and sends an undead griffin to collect Niara. It finds her in the pit, so then no one can actually help to protect her, and the undead griffin carries her away to Cairngorm Keep. She banters with Maddox before refusing to leave him, I'm sorry, before uh, refusing to let him take Asvoria or her soul, and ends up leaping off of the keep's walls to her seeming demise, though we do not hear or see her hit anything, so her fate as of yet is unknown. Back in Ravenscar, the Kaganesi elves and Bolthor bandage up and seek out the companions to make them pay. Ayanti brought the companions to her animal stable to find out what they were doing in this nasty town in the first place, and as she's agreeing to help them get Niara back, 
the animals in Crete, um, I'm sorry, the Kigonesti light the barn on fire. And then they wait for them outside of the barn so that, you know, of course, when they come running out from the fire, they can then attack and kill them. However, the companions let all of the animals and creatures out of their cages, which then burst through the front door and end up like charging down and consuming Boltor while the Kigonesti flee into the woods. So the companions with Ayanti decide to flee to a pond that's deep in the woods. Uh, I suspect that they will end up working with the two Kigonesti elves to challenge Madoc at some point, but again, it's still up in the air. They decide at this point to search for a secret underground path to keep Davin discover... Um, okay, let me rephrase that. They decide at the pond to search for a secret underground path to the keep that Davin discovered as a child. Elidor checks the pond and realizes that it's more of a rain collection than an actual proper pond, and it has no fish. However, Sindri, the kender, the magical kender, actually summons fish from it. So this means that Sindri is actually magical and not just using the ring. The two Kugonesti set a trap for the group that Elidor nearly discovers, but they all end up getting coated in animal blood and gore after tripping it. And then the guards, <laughs> guard dogs are let out from Cairngorn Keep, smell all the blood and gore and come charging after them. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I got this like sneeze. <laughs> it's like just hidden right in my sinuses. Like you need to sneeze, you need to sneeze. Whew. <clears throat> okay. So they all run to high ground uh, with these massive rocks underneath them to fight the dogs off. And the ground ends up collapsing beneath their feet. It seems that they found the tunnel that they were looking for. It was just further away from the keep and... They found it on accident. So they would all be crushed, except Sindri saved them with his newfound magic. As he's holding up the ground above them so that they're not crushed to death, the Kagonesi calls out to them, saying that they want blood for the murder of their boss. The group immediately runs, and Sindri drops the earth, seemingly killing one of the Kagonesi elves. Niara wakes up as if from a dream with her mom tickling her. She can't believe where she is or that she remembers any of this at all, but she actually does because, again, she had amnesia and she doesn't remember who her mom is until now. So she's in her family cottage with her mother. Her father and sister have driven a pile of wood to the nearby town of Ravenscar to sell. When they return, they were sitting down for dinner and this massive blue dragon ends up attacking the home. Niara remembers that she had power within her and starts to reach for it, then suddenly recalls Madoc and realizes that this is all nothing but a dream meant to uh, pull out, start the emergence of pulling out Asvoria from her. She refuses to allow the emergence to happen, and Madoc wakes her up. Now, he took her to his underground labyrinth. Madoc isn't sure who's in the body controlling it at this moment, whether it's Asvoria or Niara, and Niara refuses to let him know for sure. So he explains to Asvoria that all he wants from her are two artifacts in her tapestry. One is the Aegis, which is a necklace, and the second is the Daystar, which is a sword. And if he gets them, he will let Asvoria free. He believes that the artifacts will give him immense power. So he locks her into the room in a labyrinth, and Niara notices a mouse with blue intelligent eyes watching. Note. As I edit my initial narration, the Aegis, which was the necklace, is no longer mentioned in the story. Only Daystar, which was the sword, but is now the necklace. The editing of this book is awful. Okay, back to the story. Madoc goes to rest and prepare for a ritual as Odvar enters, telling him about the guard dogs chasing something down, and two of the dogs are missing, while the other two have cut marks. There was a tunnel collapse, and whoever attacked the dogs was probably crushed in the collapse. 
Madoc does not underestimate the heroes anymore, so he sends Odvar to collect the corpses or kill them if they're alive, but to definitely bring Davin to him. The three goblins guarding Niara's room saw Madoc approach with these bright blue glowing eyes. He demanded that they go help Odvar with the cave-in and give their room key to him. And they question him about needing the key, if he already has one, and about his incredibly blue eyes, but Madoc makes excuses and demands that they leave, and so they're afraid, and they do. At the cave-in, uh, the cave they uncover Kuruk, one of the Kaganesti elves, who was crushed but is still barely alive. They question him about what happens, and he tells them everything, and then they leave him to die. <laughs> just like they got their info, and now they just sort of just walk around him. Uh, and they start uncovering the tunnel so that they can then enter it and find the other bodies or hunt down the survivors. So the companions, now with Shariki, the other Kaganesti elf, tied up, they're continuing down the tunnel in order to find that the cavern itself has collapsed, but there's the drop-off right before the collapse. So Elidor inspects the drop-off and finds another tunnel underneath it. So there's these massive labyrinth-like caves down here. They all go into this new tunnel, which leads to a dead end, but Sindri, still exhausted, who is now sitting on Ionte's back, the centaur, sees different colors on the wall. Elidor inspects it further and opens a secret door. They enter as the room is ice, closed, um, ice cold, and a Dracolich, a Dracolich appears above them and attacks them. A flippin' Dracolich. These are kids who can't be more than like sixth level max, and that's if you're being generous. They're gonna fight Dracolich. All right, so anyway, that freaked me out. Niara hears the door open and sees Madoc transform into her sister, Jira, but her eyes are bright blue. So Jira plays off the blue eyes and says that she started working with Madoc after Niara went missing in order to find her, and they end up uh, getting together and leaving through the tunnels. As Jira claims to know a way out, so Niara is getting this strange sensation from Jira as she begins to distrust her. They arrive at massive doors, which Jira opens, and Niara realizes that Jira is not her sister, she's a shape changer. Uh, and she's definitely not Madoc either. So this is just a shape changer that is in these tunnels already that has been watching all this go down. It's pulling Niara into the cavern, and like the shape changer, her hand literally molds around the arm of Niara seamlessly. So it's not like, you know, like a, a movable hand or anything. She just, it's weird. It's crazy. Um, so it pulls Niara into the cavern as they hear a battle and see the Dracolich fighting her friends. So she summons Asvoria's power to call out to Tark Melhian, the copper dragon from the first book, also known as Radian, or Radon, I mean, and she demands that the dragon come and help her. The shapeshifter pulls Niara further in, saying that the companions might get to Daystar first. Now, clearly, this shapechanger wants to get the Daystar, which is now the necklace, not the sword, um, onto Niara because that will help the emergence happen whether Niara wants it to or not. But this is never explained until the very end when it just happens. And yet, even then, it's never really explained. It just happens. So, Sindri feels something calling out to him as the companions evade the dragon breath weapon and run into a shining an uh, runs up to a shiny amulet. He pockets it, and Catriona takes his lantern and throws it at the Draculich, which catches it on fire. Radon answers the call, the, the blue copper dragon, and has this mental image of where to go, but no real idea where they all are. He's pulled in two different directions. One is the keep, and the other is a grove of trees. 
So as the trees appear below him, he chooses to check them out first. He notices these silver tendrils between the trees, and as he flies down for a closer look, he feels imminent danger and tries to fly back up as hundreds of small silver spiders throw their webs at him. With so many of them, he starts breathing acid on the thread in order to eat it away, but the spiders end up climbing up the thread faster than he can destroy the web. Um, and then more just end up swarming as the other ones start dying. Um, so he flies up, the acid eats away the thread, breaks out of their grasp, but he's carrying tons of these spiders with him. And so he does his best to like do these like targeted little shots on his back to kill all these little spiders that are trying to bite into his armor, but they can't get to it. So they start climbing to his eyes to bite into his eyes and stuff, which is kind of a freaky thing to think about. Um, and he does his best to kill them all, but one ends up biting him on the tender part of his wing, which injects a bunch of venom before he ends up being, uh, before he ends up killing it. His wing starts to paralyze and he plummets down to the forest below. We go back to the changeling pulling Niara out of the chamber and it turns into Odvar and reveals that it's a creature Asvoria created and it's trying to help Asvoria get out of Niara. The real Odvar and his goblin underlings find all of them in the tunnel and the shapeshifter flees as Odvar takes Niara to Madoc, who is magically put to sleep. The companions end up chasing Niara down, but they're unable to catch her as they stumble around the keep. They come into an enchanted room and are trapped into a shared vision of a battle with a massive monstrosity. Madoc pulls Davin out of the vision and asks him for forgiveness, sharing his version of events about Davin's father and what he's trying to do, trying to make it not really look all that evil, even though it is. He offers Davin the opportunity to help him or to go back into the enchanted room. Davin knows that if he goes back into the room, he has no chance of defeating Madoc, so he says that he'll help Madoc. Madoc tells him that he has to plunge a spirit dagger into Niara's heart during the ritual that they're going to be completing in the coming hours. So the companions defeat the Abomination and evil clones end up climbing out of the Abomination and start fighting them. They're almost defeated as Elidor turns the tide of that battle. Sindri figures out the trick to all of this enchantment and tells Elidor just to close his eyes. And Elidor isn't even sure if he can trust the Kender, but realizes that he has no other real options. Everyone closes their eyes, hoping that they aren't about to be cut down. Back in the Dracolich's lair, before it's defeated, its essence leaps into the body of Kuruk, who came stumbling in and died at Shuriki's feet. Kuruk rises again and leads them to the enchanted room as it hunts down the Daystar. Kuruk pounds on the door as the companions are finally released from the enchanted spell, and they open the doors and the Kaganesti elves <laughs> run inside and become trapped by the same enchantment that the companions just got out of. So Madoc and Davin go to the ritual chamber, and Odvar and the goblins collect Niara. She's still sleeping. And they bring her sleeping body to the ritual chamber, and Ophian, which is the shape changer, hides in Niara's hair as a tiny little mite. Madoc begins the ritual and triggers Davin to plunge the spirit dagger into Niara, just as the companions all bust into the room. Davin ends up throwing the spirit dagger at Madoc, but the dagger was all just an illusion, and now Madoc knows that Davin is still with his friends. He begins the ritual, and the undead griffin which was just perched on top of the room that they're in, the, the ritual room. Odvar and goblins all begin attacking the companions. Ophian grows to her full size in the chaos, the shape changer, and takes the Daystar from Sindri, who had it in his pocket, as the Kaganesti, who were released from the enchantment room by Takesis or Asvoria, it's unclear which, bursts into the room as well. These two Kaganesti elves, they worshipped Takesis, which is weird, 
but okay, whatever. So Maddox is trying to concentrate as the Daystar is being fought over by Asvoria's servants, Maddox's servants, and the companions. Finally, Ophian takes it and puts it on Niara's chest, and Asvoria takes full control of uh, Niara. She stands up and with magic blasts Maddox to the ground, throws Odvar over the keep's walls to his demise, seemingly, and ultimately kills Shiriki as she realizes her cousin Kuruk is actually the Dracolich. And Elidor tries to save her, but Shiriki saved him as Asvoria ends up like burning her to cinders. So Radon finally climbs up the keep walls and is like perched looking down and Davin tells everyone you gotta get the Daystar away from Asvoria in order to push uh, Niara back in control of her own body. But the fact is Asvoria is way too powerful, much more than they ever suggested she was. Uh, they bandy about, tossing it back and forth and the Dracolich is released uh, to death by Asvoria for having reclaimed the uh Daystar amulet for her, and Asvoria takes off on one of the undead griffins. Catriona and Radon end up chasing them, and Davin fires an arrow, striking the Daystar so it falls down, just as Catriona and Radon come underneath, and I'm catching it. Davin fires an arrow, um, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, Radon is unable to maintain because he still has a wounded wing, and so he sort of like plummets into the keep itself. Asvoria ends up just fleeing. She doesn't really think she needs the Daystar and it's becoming too difficult to stay away from these damn companions at this point. So she just flies off with the griffin at this point. And it comes down to the fact that everyone failed. It, it ends with them all being hopeful that maybe Maddox will help them get revenge if he survives. Sindri becomes a wizard and is getting better and better at it all the time. And Ayanti ends up leaving the group to tend to the damaged dragon Radon. This was a convoluted end, and the writing made little sense at times. It's like the editor was missing, and the author was trying to wrap it up as quickly as possible. At what point, when Odvar was already thrown over the walls to his death, the writing in the story says that Catriona was facing off against him. But she was in the keep! So that made no sense at all. And then when Kurok entered the room, there was this whole cut-up block of text, which it seems like there was supposed to be some explanation about Kurok being the Dracolich, but it just stopped mid-sentence and picked up at a later point in the story. I had to reread the entire section over again just to make sure that they were actually in the ritual chamber because suddenly and inexplicably, it said they were on the roof. It's just so strange the way they freaking put this book together. So the fault with this book, more than anything, was that it dropped Niara from being magical. Like, the, the whole setup, the last book, was that Niara was actually a powerful, magical person herself. And that is just no longer a thing. Um, the, and, and also this book, it made Madoc, who was supposed to be the most powerful wizard on Kryn at this time, uh, probably other than Raceland, because this is after the War of the Lands, but it doesn't say anything about the Blue Ladies' War, so it's got to be somewhere in there. Um, but he ends up being this total weak wimp after his familiar was killed at the very end of the last book, and it never explains who killed the familiar, which is kind of important, because how would you know that that bird was even a familiar in the first place? It was just a bird. I don't know. The whole thing is just so messed up. All that being said, I did enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoyed some of the combat sequences once again. Um, I enjoy seeing how the companions are all working together. Um, the idea of a kender wizard is terrifying and is just absurd. I don't like that at all. 
but that's just what they're doing now. Um, I did like that every time Sindri the Kender used his spell, uh, it got he got ex exhausted, as if you know, like Raceland gets exhausted when he casts magic. So I like that connection with magic on Kryn. So at least that's accurate. But yeah, this is just like not Dragonlance at all. This could be literally any prime material plane adventure locale. The whole point of doing the ritual was that it had to be when the black moon was at its zenith, full moon, uh, at the height of the sky. But that was never mentioned once in this entire novel. It referenced it like two novels back by a different author, but nothing about it in this one, which was really strange. And then the fact that they reneged on some of the choices that the last author made, I felt like I was watching the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, where like the, the directors and writers were just fighting with each other over what they wanted their characters to be like. It was so strange, and it makes me really not want to continue reading this series. The only reason why I'm going to read it is because I've already bought the books, and I can't not read something that I paid money for, right? So, I will. <laughs> anyway... It was very, very strange. Uh, uh, Mega Mike, thanks for joining live. Chris, how you doing? Thanks for joining. Uh, Stanky Pusia. <laughs> how you doing? Thanks for joining live. You may want to get that looked at. Um, sounds like a pickup game from the end midway through the fight and then continue two weeks later. Yeah, it's just, it's so strange how, how any, any editor or any publisher would release these books that just contradict or drop storylines, or just do not feel narratively like they flow evenly throughout the course of the story. It's so strange. But they do. They just keep pumping them out. I'm, I'm hoping, and he did the, he, Tim Wagner wrote the very first novel that I wasn't a big fan of. And so I'm not surprised that I'm, you know, not as thrilled with this novel either. However, um, this is better than the first book. But you would think that he would have just taken cues from what the other authors were doing, but he just totally ignores it. Like, what? I don't understand what the hell these people are thinking. These authors are just suck. Is it? And do they think, well, this is for kids, so they'll never notice it. We'll just cut out whole sections mid-sentence, and it'll just be okay. Or is it just my copy that's messed up? These are all questions. Questions I have and no answers. It's really aggravating. But, again... I kind of enjoyed reading it. There were some moments. Not really Dragonlance moments, but, you know, fantasy adventure no moments. So, ultimately, if you've never read any of the um, new adventures books, don't read it. It's not worth your time. There are so much better Dragonlance novels out there than these that you can really sink your teeth into. Uh, but if you have already started it, you might as well just fight through it because there are little moments that are entertaining and stuff. But never, as a game master, throw a Draco Lich at your children's gaming group. Because it will destroy them. No matter what this novel says to the contrary, a Draco Lich will decimate your kids' heroes. Just crazy. Yeah, Red Devil. <laughs> we need Lord Soth to show up and kill them all. Yeah, as long as it's not like the new Lord Soth, who's like a commander in the dragon armies, apparently. He's freaking ridiculous. All right. Well, that is it for my review of uh, Return of the Sorceress by Tim Wagoner. What did you think about <laughs> this fourth of the uh, new adventure novels? Do you have a favorite part of the novel? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or comment below. 
uh, I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button because this all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. So thank you for joining me on that celebration. Um, just a quick note, uh, tomorrow I'm going to be doing a session zero of a Dragonlance Fifth Age game, and I'll be putting that uh, show notes out for that here soon. Uh, so if you have an opportunity to tune in, it is just going to be a session zero, which means we're going to be building characters in the Fifth Age saga system. So it is different than D&D, uh, but it is 100% Dragonlance. It was designed around the idea of Dragonlance. So if you've never seen Fifth Age played before, here's your opportunity to see character creation. And then we'll probably do games or like a Saturday afternoon or something because we can't really do everyone can't get together on any other scheduled times but that's still open i'm not entirely sure when we're going to be playing the actual game itself but it's only going to be four um sessions so it's a little mini campaign of Dragonlance fifth age saga system what i'm going to be doing is mini games of each of the different versions of the game that Dragonlance came out in so i've already done the DD adventure system and we've done our own versions of that we actually have one game left to finish um now uh i did a xdm second edition which is um uh, tracy hickman's own version of uh gaming system now we're gonna be doing the fifth age saga system the next one i'm gonna do is advanced dungeons and dragons first edition and i'll do like a four you know episode mini campaign story arc in that and then i'll move to second edition then third edition and then fifth edition so <clears throat> Who knows when we'll get to it all, but I do want to explore Dragonlance and all of the different game systems um, just to kind of get a feel and see which one feels most fluid with Dragonlance. I personally suspect it's going to be, if not Saga System, it's going to be Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but that's just my opinion. Um, I hope you guys have an opportunity to tune in for those because it will be a lot of fun. Anyway, thank you for watching. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Slanjavar.